0: Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit ForerunnerChurch.com. Amen. Thank you, Brenton and Kara. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 61. And we're gonna look at a few things from chapter 61, 62, and 63 this morning, kind of that little segment in Isaiah. The message for this morning is entitled The Cosmic Unfolding of the Gospel Through Intercession. And the main idea is that intercession really undergirds the gospel going forth into all the nations and then the gospel coming back to Israel as a predominantly Gentile church is going to provoke the Jews to jealousy as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 11. And In mind is their ultimate salvation, the fulfillment of God's covenantal promises, his return to the earth. And this segment in Isaiah 61 to 63 is just very important to have this construct in our mind. Right in the middle of Isaiah 61 and 63 is Isaiah 62. I'm going to look at that. I'm going to read this verse here from Isaiah 62, verse 6. And it's just... Critical, I think, that we understand that right in the middle of this old unfolding plan of God, the Lord makes this unusual declaration. His strategy, he says, I'm going to raise up watchmen. I'm going to set them on the wall. Let's look at this verse, Isaiah 62, verse 6. Isaiah prophesies, I have set watchmen on your wall. But this is the Lord speaking here in this segment. I have set watchmen on your walls, the Lord doing it. O Jerusalem, they'll never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. Father, we come before you. We love you. We ask for a spirit of revelation this morning. We ask you, Lord, for Insight related to the gospel, related to the importance of intercession, Lord, and how you're establishing watchmen on the wall in this very hour of history, this very critical hour. We ask for a spirit of grace, help from heaven to come. We love you, Lord, in your name we pray, amen. So the prophet Isaiah, he's seeing into the future. And he's witnessing the Lord establishing these individuals called watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. Meaning their central focus, their primary focus, is on God's purposes for Jerusalem. We know that Jesus has chosen Jerusalem to be the center of his government for all the ages. He's going to establish his throne in Jerusalem. And he's going to rule and administrate the nations of the earth from that particular location. The prophet Isaiah, as he's prophesying this, it's very possible that he is seeing into the future and seeing this very hour of history. I know that's a big statement to make. That's why I wrote the word possible there. Uh I really think it's possible that Isaiah was seeing this hour of history. The Lord is calling watchmen to the wall of intercession. The prayer movement is increasing in the nations of the earth. And even this 21 days that's coming up is an expression of the Lord setting watchmen on the wall. Matter of fact, one of the focuses of this 21 days is going to be for those engaging in the 21 days of fasting to pray that God would mark the hearts of believers all across the nations to see themselves as watchmen standing on the wall of intercession. It's a very different thing to pray for Israel and to have a conviction in your heart that God has called you to be a watchman on the wall for his unfolding purposes. Those are two very different things. There's lots of people that pray for Israel, pray for God's purposes in the earth, but it is a very different reality to be established with a measure of clarity, a measure of conviction in your own soul. This is what God has called me to do. This is one of my roles in the kingdom and partnering with the Lord in his generational purposes to be a watchman on the wall of intercession. Who are these watchmen? The majority of these watchmen are Gentile believers, meaning non-Jewish. They're walking in a prophetic spirit. And what that means is that they're listening to and, and tuned into what is unfolding and God's heart for Israel the Jewish people and those generational purposes that are unfolding so a prophetic spirit means they they they're in the flow of the main storyline of what's unfolding before them they're paying attention they're seeing it in the word of God they're seeing it as i'm a part of what is unfolding in the word of God before the coming of the lord Number one is they're intercessors. That's the most obvious one. They're praying. They're giving God no rest concerning his purposes for Jerusalem. They're intercessors. They're praying God's heart back to him. One of the things that we say about intercession is that we're praying what God tells us to pray. It's bringing God's own promises. It's bringing his own words back to him in persistent prayer and asking the Lord to break through and do the things that he already intends to do, that he wants to do. It's not trying to necessarily change God from doing something differently than he intends, but actually it's agreeing with what he intends. And it's one of the reasons that intercession is such a glory of the believer. The Ministry of intercession, I believe every believer is called to it. Some will do it a lot, meaning part of their day or a large part of every day is devoted to intercession, but every believer in general is called to intercede before the Lord, to be to have a foundation of prayer in their life. That is not an optional thing. It's not I'd say it jokingly, it's not one of the fivefold ministries. It's not the sixthfold ministry. We've got the prophets, we've got the pastors, the teachers, the apostles, the evangelists, and also the intercessors. We've kind of made it the six-fold ministry. The Lord calls every single Christian to engage in intercession. It's why Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. He didn't mean that everybody had to be a prayer room. They didn't have to look like IHOPKC. That's not the point. He says, but fundamentally, every believer is a part of his father's house and to be in his father's house and contribute to this father's house and be a part of the global mission of the church is to be a people of prayer. It's interesting that Some of the main world religions focus and emphasize prayer as part of their daily habit and their daily routine. You look at Judaism, you look at Islam, you look at Buddhism, you look at Hinduism. All of these religions and many, many others are focused and centralized around the activity of prayer. But somewhere in modern church belief, we've imagined that we can remove prayer from the people of God and they still retain their identity as being the people of God. We've allocated the ministry of prayer out to the prayer meeting on Tuesday nights, to the group of intercessors at our local church, And the Lord is going to dramatically, he's going to shift the conversation and centralize his people around prayer and conversation with him again. There really is no other way forward. But we've got to see this as critical and foundational. Some will live their life as set watchmen on the wall in an occupational way. We call that intercessory missionaries. That's not a biblical term. That's a term we made up. But the Lord is going to have more and more intercessory missionaries in Kansas City, and I believe in many other places across the earth, but where their occupation is to be watchmen on the wall. But your occupation doesn't have to be full-time intercessory missions to see yourself and respond to the call as being a watchman. Let's look at some of the other ways that these watchmen are described in the Bible. Isaiah 52, verse eight, it describes them as singers and musicians, your watchmen lift up their voices, and with their voices, they sing together. So the intertwining of the the worship movement, the prayer movement, the missions movement, all together, the Lord is raising up watchmen, and many of them will be songwriters. There'll be, you know, Christian artists. They'll be in prayer rooms. They'll be in their homes. But part of the expression of the watchman is not just intercession. It's actually lifting up their voice and singing the word of God and singing the purposes of God. You don't have to be a great singer to sing. People might appreciate if you're going to sing loud that you'd be a good singer, but you don't have to be amazing at it. The Lord loves the sound of your voice. These watchmen that the Lord raises up in Isaiah 62... They are also messengers, messengers. They're delivering a message. They're interfacing with heaven. They're connecting to the prophetic narrative in God's heart, and then they're sharing that message, and that's happening in lots of different ways. It's happening in small groups. It's happening in one-on-one discipleship. It's happening through writing, writing and publishing things online, writing books creating musicals, preaching the word, teaching the word, people creating YouTube channels and podcasts. They're getting the message out about Abba's purposes for the earth. How do we know this? Well, in verse 6 of Isaiah 62, he says, I'm, sitting, I'm setting watchmen on the wall, but then look down. At verse 11, the Lord has proclaimed to a particular group. He's proclaiming to them and he's charging them to say a message. Who is the group that he's talking to? He's talking to the watchman of verse 6. He's saying to the watchman, I've set you on the wall of intercession. Don't give me any rest. Keep crying out to me day and night. And then he charges that same group in verse 11. He says, I want you to turn and I want you to say a particular message. This isn't the only message that they say in verse 11, but it's the ultimate message. It's the believers across the earth, the watchmen, Predominantly Gentile, turning to Israel that does not see Jesus as Messiah. And they're saying this message to unbelieving Israel in a particular time in history. They're saying, the Lord charges them, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. They're declaring a message to the Jewish people in their greatest hour of trouble. Because the context in which this is unfolding in the earth, the watchman being raised up, the prayer movement exploding across the earth, the going forth of the gospel, the generation of the harvest, the Lord's return, is in the hour of the greatest global trouble that the earth has ever seen. It's the hour of Israel's trouble. It's called Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30. So it's in that hour that these watchmen then are commissioned, say to the daughter of Zion in her hour of desperation, in her hour of tribulation, say to them, your salvation is coming. They're preaching Jesus, the deliverer, who's going to come out of Zion. He's going to turn ungodliness away from Jacob. And Paul tells us in Romans eleven twenty six that all of Israel will be saved. In one generation, that will happen. And I believe even shorter than just a generation over decades and decades, but in one nearly hour of history, a few years, the power of the gospel is gonna prevail. The blindness in part that has occurred within the Jewish heart is gonna be removed and the gospel is going to pierce their hearts in their hour of trouble. They are going to be provoked to jealousy, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11. They're going to see something on the church. They're going to see something on these watchmen that the Lord has raised up. And they're going to say, wait a second, that belongs to us. What are you guys talking about? And in that context, they're going to begin to recognize and see Jesus as their Messiah and as their Savior. And when they do, a lot of things are going to change. A lot of things are going to turn around. Well, another function, paragraph two, I found this interesting, kind of as a side note, about the watchmen, is that watchmen in ancient Israel, but in ancient times as well, they were stationed to protect the harvest and harvest fields from being stolen and burned and destroyed and all that. And I never could make sense of these verses that talked about they're building a tower and the watchmen are up in the tower. And it was always, they would plant a field and then build a tower in the field or plant vineyards and build a tower in it so that watchmen could stand up in the tower and see when there was coming trouble to sound an alarm. And the reason that they're sounding alarm is so that the harvest that was expected was not hindered or destroyed or plundered or less than what was intended. And I think there's spiritual or prophetic significance to that that applies to these watchmen on the wall is that they have insight into the finality of that hour as harvest There's a great harvest of souls coming. It's coming in the nations, it's coming in Israel, but that's one of the key things in their mind as watchmen. They're on that prophetic tower, so to speak, looking out at the horizon of what's coming, and they're praying, and they're messaging, and they're singing with a spirit of understanding, knowing what is now coming in their generation. But it's to preserve it. It's to preserve the harvest so that the enemy doesn't get in and steal away what God has ordained for himself. When I think of this generation, when I think of the nations that do not know Christ, one of the roles of the watchmen, the intercessors, is to say, no, this is your inheritance. This is not the inheritance of the enemy. And we lift up our voices to the Lord, we lift up our voices to one another, and we declare the manifold wisdom of God, the power of God, the gospel of God, so that Jesus receives all that is His. There is nothing more devastating and tragic than Jesus receiving less than what has been granted to him by the Father. We want Him to receive the reward of His suffering. That became the the cry of missions over the years. That became the cry of the Moravians that the lamb would receive the reward of his suffering. They were compelled in their ministry as watchmen, in their ministry as missionaries, they were compelled because of a jealousy that the bridegroom would receive what was rightfully his. It's a different orientation. They're not just praying so that God blesses their ministry and makes it more successful and we get more anointing. The ministry of the watchmen was that they would see what belonged to the bridegroom and that they would earnestly contend for it. It means to be a friend of the bridegroom, like John the Baptist. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, John tells us. He goes, he must increase, I must decrease. John's ministry, he's going, I'm only here so that people come and follow the lamb. That's what we're about. We're not interested in being watchmen to promote our ministries. We're not interested in just doing intercession so that our life gets more exciting because revival comes. We're seeing the inheritance of the bridegroom, and we're standing in the gap. And as friends of the bridegroom, we're going, it's our joy to stand, to hear, and to rejoice that the bridegroom is coming, that he's in the land. Paragraph C, these watchmen, they give the Lord no rest. They're connected in various communities where there's a continual cry that ascends before God. They're not giving him any rest. Now, some people have the wrong idea that God himself is just at rest. Jesus ascended, the father's like, welcome back. Let's just hang out until the time is right, until they, our kids down there figure it out, Till they get their act together, Till they quit inventing a million different denominations, and they stop being mean to each other, and they start representing me in the right way to the unbelievers. He's not just passively sitting back. Scripture tells us that Jesus always lives. In Hebrews 7, he always lives to make intercession for us. He's actively and profoundly engaged in the affairs of the nations and the church being perfected in love and power. And he goes, I want you to carry my same heart. Earlier in Isaiah 62, the Lord says, for Zion's sake, I'm not going to keep silent. The Lord is not silent concerning his intentions for Zion, Jerusalem. And he invites his watchmen, his people, he goes, I want you to share in my burden. I think it's one of the reasons why it's so hard for a Gentile like me to even care about God's purposes for Israel because it doesn't directly benefit me. You preach on it, you talk about it, you give your life to it, you pray for it. There's not just immediate benefit to you. So I think there's even like a, a blindness or a spiritual dullness upon many parts of the Gentile church, of which I'm including myself in that, that the Lord wants to remove. And He goes, I don't want you to just care about this because it's gonna directly benefit you. I want you to care about this because you care about me and I care about this. You know, passion is contagious, uh, you know, sports fandom is like contagious. You go get around some of these like college fans for their big schools and football and all this kind of stuff, like 15 minutes in, you're a fan just like them. Because their passion is contagious. The Lord wants to infect his people with the passion of his own heart. heart. He wants us to get infected with his zeal for Zion. He goes, I am zealous, profoundly zealous for Zion and my purposes in Jerusalem. And the vast majority, myself included, I'm disconnected from that zeal. I'm just like, look, I like you, I, I guess. I like that you're Jewish. That's cool. Jerusalem, okay, like, let's go see Jerusalem. Like, let's do the tour thing and bob around in the Dead Sea and re-baptize myself in the Jordan. Like, I'm in, And he's going, there's something way more going on than just Christian tourism and and icons and just seeing the sights. I want to infect your heart with my zeal for Zion. I burn with fire on the inside for her and my people. I want them all, I want them all to burn with the same fervor, with the same zeal that I have for Zion, for Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He says, they're gonna give him no rest until Jerusalem is a praise in the earth. And if you know any of the prophetic narrative, the nations more and more, well, presently, they are certainly not praising Jerusalem and the earth. They're mostly condemning Israel. That's a complex subject and theme, but the Lord says, these watchmen, they're going to continue until Jerusalem is a praise and the whole earth, That is a profound statement. That is a mission statement we cannot accomplish on our own. No church, no ministry, no single entity is going to make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. America is not going to make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. There's no power, there's no military, there's no governmental entity that's going to make. The Lord says the only people that are going to make Jerusalem a praise in the earth is me. And my watchmen are going to cry out to me to come and do this. And the whole earth is going to sing the praises of my son as the king of kings, the Jewish king, enthroned in Mount Zion. And all the nations are going to look at Israel and say, you are blessed. You are blessed because your redeemer dwells there. You're the city of God. You're the city of the great king. Presently, she's not looked upon with favor. But there is a time coming of her national salvation and the arrival of her Messiah. And her acceptance of Yeshua as Messiah, as Paul says, will be like life from the dead for the nations. The whole earth is going to change And this is part of the gospel witness that we're going to get into. The whole earth is going to change when the Jewish people recognize Jesus as their Messiah. Go to page two. If you're looking at it in your Bible, it's a little bit easier to see. At least it is for me because I have Isaiah 61 over here and I have Isaiah 63 over here but I want us to see that there's a narrative that's in play when Isaiah's prophesying this. Isaiah 61 begins with the familiar verse, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. He's anointed Christ to bring good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. We know that. Jesus begins his earthly ministry. First he's baptized, then he goes to Nazareth in the synagogue. And he stands up in the synagogue to read the Torah. And he reads Isaiah 61, which was the reading for that day. And he says, this is fulfilled today in your midst. They did not like that message, by the way. They didn't like the idea. That was offensive on many levels. You can read that account in Luke 4 on your own. But when Jesus says, and when he reads and says, this is fulfilled today in your midst, he goes into verse two to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, but then he stops. He stops short of the day of the vengeance of our God. So he's saying something is setting into motion now related to the gospel and my Father's purposes. He's anointed me for my mission upon the earth, but I'm waiting for the days of vengeance. Those days are not now. And if you just continue the narrative over to Isaiah 63 in verse four, you begin to see this is the context where the days of vengeance begin to happen on the earth. It's at the coming of Christ. And when he destroys his enemies and rescues Israel from the surrounding nations. And right smack dab in the middle is part of God's glorious plan. Here's the beginning of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Here's the days of vengeance that the prophets foretold the day of the Lord. And right in the middle, what do we find? God going, I'm raising up, watchmen on my wall. It's part of his whole strategy and plan. And I want us to connect with that because we're calling this upcoming fast, the Isaiah 62 fast. And I want us to connect that these are historic times. And I'm not wanting to overpromise on what that means or doesn't mean, I don't even know. But truly, the Lord is setting watchmen on the wall, and you may be one of them. We're not here to pick who is and who isn't. It's a heart response going, I'm a part of this purpose, the gospel beginning in the ministry of Jesus, the culmination of the day of the Lord, and the in between where we are now. I'm called to be a watchman on the wall. It's an invitation. Paragraph B, in this time period between the ascension of Christ and the days of vengeance or the day of the Lord as the prophets often referred to it, it's a time frame called by some as the intra-advent period. It simply means the time between the appearings of Christ. Right now, the Lord is raising up watchmen. As a part of his strategy, it's a critical piece of God's unfolding plan. I believe that this is a historic hour for the raising up of watchmen. And this invitation is going out. And I am convinced that there are far more watchmen that have been called than are responding. The Lord is calling many believers, millions, tens of millions, to see themselves as watchmen to get some of the prophetic narrative in the word of God concerning God's zeal for Zion and his purposes for Israel and then to engage through intercession, through song, and through message unto that end. It's an invitation. During this period, we know that Christ is also building his church. The followers of Jesus were engaging in the great commission to make disciples. Disciples. We're teaching people to observe all the things that Christ commanded. He's endued his people with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're to operate and function in the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, and here's the key point at the end of paragraph B, ultimately, as the nations are discipled, because The gospel goes out from Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. As those disciples are made, there's a particular time frame in history where the nations will then turn and look back at Jerusalem and say, God, come to your people. The gospel is for the Jew first and then for the Greek and there's going to be a powerful witness of love and a demonstration of power and mercy etc in that hour back towards Jerusalem where it all started it all comes to completion the gospel goes out Isaiah 61 it reaps a harvest in the nations Those nations, they get burdened for God's heart for his people. They become watchmen, many of them. They turn their gaze back toward God's purposes in Jerusalem. And they say, do it, Lord. Accomplish all that is in your heart. Let the Messiah, our Messiah, Jesus, let him reign on Mount Zion. Save your people. Believers from the nations, they're going to say to Israel, your salvation is coming. Look at verse 12. The narrative will change. It says, they will call them, the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, in verse 12. They will call them. Who's the they? The they are the watchmen, predominantly Gentile believers. They will call them which is the Jewish people that have not seen or recognized Yeshua as Messiah, the narrative will change. They will say, no, these are God's holy people. They've been called for such a time as this for a particular purpose. They're the redeemed of the Lord. And the Lord, the Messiah, is going to come and redeem them and bring them in to the new covenant. Paragraph D, this is applicable to every believer, I believe, because it helps us to make sense of how we're to engage in this present hour of history. There are so many believers that are confused about what they're supposed to be doing right now. You see it all the time, and they go to the conference, and then they Move over here and join this ministry, and they're YouTube this ministry, and they're they're all trying to find a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose. And I think that we can overcomplicate the things that God has called us to do in this particular period of history before the day of His coming, or to engage in prayer, to be a people of prayer, or to make disciples. We're to build the local church where we're at in our communities. We're to care for the lost. We're to preach the gospel. There's probably a couple other things, but I mean, that right there is what God has called us to do. And we don't have to live in this spirit of confusion, in this transient grip that there's some more fulfilling thing somewhere else, and that if we just got the right message or the person laid their hand on us or we got the angelic encounter that our life would all of a sudden make sense. You don't have to wait for that. The Lord lays it out in scripture right here. Get on the wall. Pray for my purposes for Jerusalem. Get two people. Disciple them. I don't know how to disciple them. How do you disciple them? Meet with them and teach them the things that Jesus taught us in the word of God. Just go through. Be like We're gonna do money Jesus' way. We're gonna do our time Jesus' way. We're gonna do humility and meekness instead of arrogance. We're going to walk in what Christ called us to do. Then we're gonna be a witness to the unbelievers in our workplaces and out in society and at the grocery store. We're gonna exemplify Christ. They're gonna go, What's different about you? We're gonna say, We follow Jesus. We love him. We're about him. So it's this grand plan that God has, but it's a very simple way in which we're to walk it out day by day. We don't give up. We don't give in. We don't make peace with sin and compromise in our life. We disciple our children. We teach them the ways of Jesus. Anyways, I could go on and on about that, but you get the idea. The church must always understand her season fulfill her assignment. And there's a corporate uh, uh, application to this, but there's a very personal one. Understand your season and you'll understand your assignment. The Lord has you at IHOP for this season of your life here at Forerunner Church. Do IHOP stuff. The Lord calls you somewhere else. Do that stuff. Just engage. Just engage with what's going on right in front of you in the community that you're in. A manifold vision of the gospel. The ministry of Jesus is marked by preaching and proclaiming and healing, and the gospel is effective because of the anointing on Christ. The gospel is effective in your life because Christ is anointed to lead you into it. And the gospel is effective for unbelievers that you encounter because Christ has anointed you to share that message with others. I'm gonna skip down to paragraph C. It is important that the gospel and our understanding of it not be reduced to only a spiritual application where we're saved by grace through faith. The gospel is not just forgiveness of our sins because of the cross, That is a dynamic part of the gospel. It's foundational, it's critical, it's never secondary. It's the primary thing because it's the front door to the kingdom. But the gospel is not just spiritual, it is very practical. And it comes to bear in many, 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 many facets of our life and within creation. Go to page three. Jesus spoke of a significant sign of the times where the gospel of the kingdom would be preached in all of the nations. He says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the nations and then the earth, the the end, the end will come. The end will come. This gospel of the kingdom is a robust, multifaceted pronouncement and manifestation of the coming of Messiah and the glories to follow. It is way more than Jesus loves you, do you want to accept him in your heart, join my church. I'm not saying that's a bad message, but that message is not the entirety of the gospel and it's certainly not the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 24. What is implied is the complete and utter transformation of all the peoples of the earth and all of the derivatives of creation in both the natural and spiritual realms. It's good news because the Messiah is gonna come and everything is gonna change, everything. Your spiritual life is gonna change, your emotional life is gonna change, your physical body is gonna change because there's a resurrection, the government's gonna change, the world economy is gonna change, the social life is gonna change, the nations are gonna change, I mean, all of it. The created order, the animal kingdom, the atmosphere, the water, the pollution in the earth, all of it is going to change and this is all a part of the message of the gospel, the good news that God is invading the earth. He's coming. Jesus described the kingdom of heaven like a mustard seed, like a leavening agent. The prophets described Christ's ministry as an ever-growing branch. And what we see in these metaphors is that the gospel contains, contains the truth that the kingdom will ever increase and bring all things, all things, under the subjection of his leadership. It will bring all things under his direct rule. Isaiah 9, verse 7, familiar verse, it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end the branch of the Lord will be seen as beautiful. It will branch out. It's like a mustard seed. It's really small in its beginning, but it continues to grow and grow and grow and branch out. It's like leaven. It continues to expand and expand and expand. We see that the good news is not limited to personal salvation, but it is and will transform the social and ultimately the cosmic spheres of all creation. It's not just gonna transform the earth, but the most furthest reaches of the galaxies, galaxies are going to come under the leadership of God as all of creation is groaning and waiting for him. It begins to boggle the mind when we think about the expansion of his government and peace having no end. Even after his coming, it continues to grow and become enlarged and radiate with the glory and the knowledge of God. There are worlds to be discovered to display the glory and the beauty of God. I don't understand how it all works. I don't know if we're going to be like astronauts or something way out there. I just know his government has no end. It continues to expand, and when it expands, it envelops every sphere of life. The personal. It directly impacts the social. Look at this. He will not fail or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. That's what we're crying out for. There's a cry in this present generation for social justice. We want justice in society. The way to get justice is through the proclamation and the transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we've got to see it in society, and we've got to be a part of it, and we've got to influence it, not just talk about it. Not just lay hands on people, but actually demonstrate what it means that when people come into our social circles, that they see a different kingdom in a different way in a different culture. One that's not divided. One that's not filled with animosity, but filled with the love and the power of God as he intended to create a nation for himself called the church, the kingdom There's cosmic implications, which I mentioned. But the whole trajectory of the gospel propels us into the new heavens and the new earth. That's where it goes. Intercession is the propulsion for the promises of the gospel. The Lord says to pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest. The early apostles understood that after Christ ascended, their mission could only go forward with prayer. And that's why they're told by Jesus, tarry in the city until you're endued with power from on high. And when they're endued from, with power from on high, we see in Acts chapter three, or Acts chapter two rather, they're daily in the temple. They're daily in the place of prayer because the purposes of God go forward through the combination of prayer and mission together as one. Go to page four. Invite the worship team to come out. These are likely things that you've heard before. But even the ministry of Jesus goes forward through intercession. Here in Psalm chapter two, it is profound that the father is telling the son to engage in the ministry of intercession. The father is speaking to the son. He says, son, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. This isn't for us. This isn't like, Lord, give us the nations for our inheritance. It's Jesus asking the Father, Father, give me my inheritance. Even the Son is engaged in the ministry of intercession with the Father, and it's how his kingdom purposes go forth. This is why we're all invited into it. Because whatever Jesus does, we're to do. Jesus did whatever the Father did, and we're to do whatever the Son does. We're to follow Him, we're to follow the Lamb, we're to take up our cross and follow Him. And whatever ministry, whatever words, whatever mindset, whatever activity Christ is engaged in as he brings to bear the holiness of God and the power of God and the presence of God onto creation, that's what we're to be about and what we're to do. Just in summary, in the culmination of natural history, the Lord is gonna establish many millions of intercessors in a global upper room to cry out for the gospel purposes to go forth in Israel and the nations. And this is what we get to be a part of. And maybe the Lord is marking you to be a watchman on the wall. You don't have to do it as a full-time occupation, but something in your heart is stirred by this. Not by my words, by what the Spirit is doing right now in this very hour. That sounds grand and highfalutin or whatever, but I am sure right now the Holy Spirit is marking people in the nations, just normal people like me, like you, marking us, going, get into my narrative for Israel. Just start asking the questions of me. Begin to seek me. Begin to cry out for my purposes. See what I'm going to do in partnership with you. That's that's one of the glories of it is that we have the privilege of partnering with the Savior and Creator of the world for His purposes to go forth. It's amazing. Let's go ahead and stand. Father, here we are. Lord, I'm asking in the name of Jesus, that you would mark those that would respond to the call of the watchman. They're from all walks of life. They're moms, they're dads. They're in their 60s. Some are retired. Some are growing older. Some are really young. They're 20 years old. The Lord is marking you as a watchman. He says, I have set watchmen. I have set watchmen on the walls for Jerusalem. They will give me no rest. Lord, we ask you for that same cry, like a, like an alarm in the spirit to go out even now, that you would touch the heart of your people, that we would mission in accordance with your purposes. This hour of history, Lord, that our hearts would be compelled to, to respond to you, to ask different questions of our own life and Lord what are you doing with me in my season right now we ask that you would make it clear even as you spoke through the prophet Habakkuk make the vision clear for him to run for many of you the vision has not been clear the Lord wants to clarify it so that you can run with strength and you can run in endurance in the next season and maybe this is part of it and I'm talking to those on the web stream as well Maybe the Lord is marking you and calling you for such a time as this right now to take your place on the wall as a watchman. Singers, musicians, songwriters, disciplers, church ministry leaders, accountants, business owners, construction workers, the Lord is putting out a call to his people. Get on the wall on behalf of my people. Here we are, Lord. Lord. Help us Lord give us grace we're gonna worship for just a moment and I just want to invite you if the Lord's touching your heart and you'd like to respond either to the message this morning or you have a burden or need going on in your life you just want to receive prayer I want to invite you to come up to the front we have a ministry team that's ready to pray with you in faith believing God for miracles believing God for the release of grace believing god for spiritual clarity to come over your life we thank you lord we bless you in jesus name go ahead and come forward if you'd like thank you for tuning in to sunday sermon for more information service times and free teaching resources visit forerunnerchurch.com